When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On today's Coaching Coordinator podcast from the archives, we talk with Nebraska Defensive Coordinator Eric Shenander. This is one you're going to enjoy regardless of what side of the ball you're on, and you're definitely going to want to take notes. Coach Shenander is a great teacher of the game, and that really comes through in this discussion. Enjoy. I'm very excited to be joined today by the Defensive Coordinator at Nebraska, Coach Eric Shenander. Coach, great to have you here on the podcast. Hey, great to be on. I'm, I'm excited to be on with all your listeners and you, and I'm just excited to get the day started. Well, Coach, the, the, the great thing about this journey as, as a coach and a journey through the profession is most of us along the way get to be in touch with, with guys who are going to influence what we do. And looking at your background, you've had a lot of great guys along the way. You're working with some great guys now. Talk to us a little bit about how your philosophy and – and coaching strategies have really developed by been developed by some of those guys you've been able to learn from. Yeah, I, I think you learn from from everybody you're around. You, you either learn what 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 to do or, or what not to do. I had the the privilege of, of learning from a lot of people, either playing from those guys, recruited by obviously Hayden Fry, and then played for Kirk Ferentz along with Joe Philbin was, was my position coach who went on to have an unbelievable career as a, as a NFL offensive coordinator and head coach. Then you start working in this profession. And I think the way that it happened for me was the, the perfect way I got to coach at the junior college level. And then I got to coach at the one double a level. It used to be called now FCS, then go be in a, in a lower level job at a, at a big time program. And then, get to go to the NFL and then come back to a, to a power five school and then go with coach Frost to a mid major, if you will. And then now we're at Nebraska, but obviously along that line, I learned from a lot of great guys and some of the best coaches I was around was, was at the one double a level. And then obviously Chip Kelly had a major influence along with Jerry Azanero and, and some of the other guys along the way. But any other guys that you want to talk about specifically, I'd be more than happy to. Well, yeah, sure. Let's, let's go back to, the college playing days for you, you have Hayden Fry, a Hall of Fame coach who's recruited you. You play for Coach Ferentz. I'm sure your your passion for this game really 
started to develop there, and, and I imagine somewhere along that way, that's that's where you made the decision that this is something you'd like to do. Yeah, and I I think when you're when you're in my position, I was I, I played around a lot of really good football players at that time. We were not very good when we first got there, and then we turned into a good football team. But I was around a lot of really good football players, and I think it didn't take that long for me to figure out that I was a lot better at helping them get their job done than I was actually doing it on the field. So it was a kind of an easy choice for me, but it, but it just seemed to be something that I really enjoyed. You talk about Hayden Fry, Hall of Fame coach. I was only with him for a short period of time, but I think around him, he learned how to treat kids and their families. He was an ultimate person. Football coaching aside, he was just a great man, and he, he knew every kid that was in his program. He knew every family that was in his program, and I learned a lot just just how to how to treat people from him. I mean, then the guys that were around it was a, it was a really good coaching staff when when Coach Ferentz took over. Just learned a lot about building a program, rebuilding a program, if you will. But we went his first year. I think we were verbatim. Don't 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 hold me to this. I think. One and ten, three and eight, then seven and four, and then we won them all but one and got to play in a in, a, in the first BCS round of the Orange Bowl. So, just watching a program being taken over at that point in time and learning kind of how to rebuild it was it was huge for me. Coach, you've been around kind of that transformative process where a, a coaching staff takes it. Really, I, I think wherever you go, you're. You're starting over. I, I know you want to try to capitalize maybe on some momentum of, of what those that previous staff did, but you're always starting over, and it's going to take, it seems like, at, at least three years to to get it to where you want, to get the culture to where you want, to get things performing at that high level. What are some of the, the, the consistent things you've seen in, in that process that you need to do to, to see that evolve? Well, I think I think we we started it, even though it wasn't a huge rebuild, if you will, it, not at all when we went to Oregon. But it was kind of taking it to the next step when when Chip Kelly became the head coach. And the the thing that he kind of taught us was everybody saw the win the day deal around over and over and over. And I think people don't really understand it that well. It's just kind of cool to say, but it, it was a a thing where we were trying to get that program from successful, very successful to now how do we take the next step to becoming a, a prominent division one program, power five program competing for the conference title, competing for a national championship. And there was all a lot of ideas being thrown around and a, a lot of good stuff. And Chip kind of said, well, why don't we just forget about all that? And why don't we just win the day? And we were all kind of looking at each other and, saying win the day and for him it was just about we need to win today we need to win getting up and making your bed we need to win breakfast we need to win class we need to win stretch we need to win meetings we need to win weight room we need to win the evening meetings we need to win the homework we need to win it all and it it made things very very easy once you put it in those terms and I, I don't think a lot of us ever thought about it like that and it all of a sudden kind of the light turned on for me I know and I think a lot of other people and then the other thing he said is if we're going to ever do it here we're going to be the greatest team that ever practiced in the history of the world not not necessarily 
the, the Pac-12 or, or college football, but we're going to be the greatest practice team ever in the history of the world. And I think those two things at that point in time, along with all the other culture pieces, but those two things were what we needed at that point in time. I first kind of got turned on to the things Chip Kelly was doing when I had the opportunity I was recruiting John Gruden's son while I was at BW. So John Gruden came in before the recruiting day, sat down with us. I don't know, it must have been 5 in the morning, which is pretty late for him, and just started talking ball with us and, and constantly was referring to going to Chip Kelly's practices and talking about his practices. And that's – I was learning some spread things, still not maybe that in that kind of offense, but I was really interested in the practice side of things. So when you look at – I guess the things you've taken away from that, some of the the best things, and I really think that can help our game a lot in understanding how to practice better today because there's that, I don't know, a lot of guys grew up a certain way and that's all they know. But talk to us about the the practice because I know it it almost became this this blend of kind of sports with with science for Chip. Yeah, so I think – and a lot of people, when we say we're going to practice better than any team in the history of the world ever, I think people think we're going to practice forever for mm-hmm. five hours, and that, that's not the case. We practice. I mean, and Coach Frost, to be honest with you, has, has taken everything to the next level. We've modeled a lot of it off of what kind of what we learned with, with Chip, but Coach Frost has taken everything to the next level and fine-tuned it. And, and I think – when you're talking about how are you going to, how are you going to practice better than anybody in the world, it's, it's efficiency. How can we get on and off the field in, in whatever the case may be? For us, it's about two hours is going to be about the max. But you have to be – when people come in and talk to me, I think it's they're amazed at how much – maybe not even scripting, but how much communication goes on between every segment about exactly where we're going to be at exactly what time on the practice field, how every rep is accounted for. And if, if, if those reps get done, Coach Frost might blow the whistle and we might move on to the next thing. So we, a lot of people, I think, if, if the reps get done in practice, they, they do more. And we know what we want before we go out for practice. And if those reps get accomplished, we move on to the next thing. We can get an extra rep somewhere else and or we can get an extra recovery time. But I, I think the prep that goes into practice the scripting, just the the amount of thought that goes into the shell by Coach Frost himself, and then by the the rest of the assistants, is kind of where you need to make your money. And another thing is, is we take a lot of time to explain to the kids what we want to do in every drill, how we want to get it accomplished, how we want to move from drill to drill. So then when we get out there, it's it's a very seamless process. We've even taken a walk through a whole walk through period where people are like hey you're nuts you're gonna you could be walking through whatever you want to see you could be walking through overfield smack x and you can get the, an hour out of that we will use that hour to to talk about how we want to practice how we want to practice on monday tuesday wednesday thursday so that when we go out there there's not a second that's wasted out there but i think however you want practice to look it's important that you, you communicate that to your assistants, to the kids, to the trainers, to the equipment people, to the video people. And then I think also Coach Frost does a great job with the kids never know what's going to happen on a day-to-day until we tell them. It could be a competition day. It could be a spar day. It could be a regular day. It could be 
uh, scrimmage day, but he, he does a great job of kind of moving the cheese on him, if you will, and keeping things fresh, and competition is king for him. Coach, when you look at kind of the up-tempo style of practice that you know everybody's moved to, you hear you hear quite a few guys say, well, you know, I just – I just coach off of film, and I know having having done some research on you, you really value the teaching side of that. How does that sit with you? That idea that you're just going to run through practice, but you're not going to not going to really coach. You're not going to really teach. I mean, there's that. I feel like that balance you got to find between being the up tempo, but you still have to be teaching out on the field. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I think it depends on on how you look at it. If you look at it from a from an old school mentality where man I didn't get to I didn't get to correct that guy for the two minutes on the field after the play where I used to be able to it it hurts a little bit but when you think about it from the the Scott Frost the Chip Kelly point of view where the two minutes we just spent for you to correct that guy was two minutes times a hundred other guys that's 200 minutes we just wasted practice so why don't we just move on to the next play? If you want to pull that guy aside as a position coach and or a GA, great, pull him aside and correct him. But we need to keep rolling, and then we'll we'll correct everybody else off the film. And I feel about it like everybody else does. There's some times where I would love to, to slow it down and make some more corrections, but I, I don't think it's fair to the rest of the team. That's not a conducive teaching environment. You wouldn't do that. In a lecture, I don't think if somebody got a, a question wrong on a, on a quiz, you wouldn't you wouldn't stop the lecture and go back and, and correct him because 99% of the students got it right and one person got it wrong. You'd probably see him after after class. It, it, and it depends on what you want to coach. I, I care a lot about in, in practice coaching effort communication, but I can get those done on the run. And I think our position coaches do a great job of, of coaching technique and assignment that way and it also depends on how you structure practice too we never have a practice where obviously when we get in a team setting an individual setting in a team setting when we're doing drill work that thing is, is moving we're flying we're as fast as probably anybody in the country i haven't been had the chance to go to everybody's practice but i would think ours are, are pretty close to as fast to everybody and then there's also always always when you're talking about how do you structure practice there's always a teach period built in there and for us that's going to be right after a team period or right before a team period however coach frost wants to do it that day there's going to be a a four minute a five minute walk and talk period so we get a break for our kids We, we, we want them to go as fast as they can in those team periods but we understand they need a break but how can we get a break that's constructive where we can get a teach period where it's probably slower than a walkthrough where I can make corrections and or I can get guys ready for the next period so I think if you have that structure in your in your in your practice schedule it allows you to to coach off the tape much much better and feel good about it out there yeah and I think I'm number one I'm a I'm a proponent of of moving fast in practice and I remember those days even as a player where coach would stop things and it was like just became monotony of waiting because you want to go as a player you want to go right but I think what I found as a coach in, in working in that system that you start to become more efficient you actually develop a language for coaching I think lack of better terms a language that is more concise that now maybe where it did take that minute long dissertation before you're saying something in two or three words that because you've installed that language with the players 
they understand what you're talking about and can make can make those corrections. Is that something you've found in, in your evolution as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a one thing that Coach Frost talks a ton about with our guys. And I I don't want to get into the whole story with him, but he he learned it I think from some of the Blue Angels guys maybe came and talked to us from the from the um, the, the pilots and they were talking about as they moved through their mission talking about keywords very quickly and, and efficiently. And I think one of those guys went to one of his meetings as a wide receiver coach. And his biggest point to him after the meeting, Coach Frost was like, critique me or whatever. He's like, well, you guys go so fast in practice. You go so fast in the games. Why do you go so slow in the meeting? And I think that, that kind of turned the light on for Coach. So now in all meetings, he wants us to go fast in the meetings. He wants us to talk fast. He wants us to use keywords and phrases in the meeting room. That's going to carry over to practice. And another thing, when you talk about things like that, is are you on the same page with the rest of the coaches? So that one coach, one thing I don't like is those are my guys. Don't talk to my guys. They're all our guys. The, the whole team is our guys. So we want all of our coaches to be able to coach every single person and if you're all on the same page with the verbiage, that becomes much easier. Like for us, when we're talking about tackling, we're talking about long stride, short stride, shuffle and shoot. And everybody in our staff can talk to those kids about that. And they can, whatever verbiage they want to use, you didn't short stride there, but even feet got you beat. As we turn over it to offense, and this is very, very thought out, when we go to blocking, it's long stride, short stride, strike and drive. What does it matter? Well, it matters because as a defensive coordinator, I can I can coach up a receiver that might be 40 yards down the field if I'm standing back in the post about him blocking and or if I'm coaching a guy's on kickoff return on defense, I can say, hey, don't worry about blocking technique. You've done it a million times. Instead of long stride, short stride, shuffling shoes, long stride, short stride, strike and drive, just like I can coach the, the offensive guys up on special teams very, very quickly as well. So I think the the verbiage is huge when you want to go fast, but it's not I'm on my own doing the verbiage. You have to be on the same page with, with the rest of the staff, and, and that that's things that need to get talked about in meetings that I think get left by the wayside a little bit. Yeah, that's that's an interesting concept because you see in a lot of places, and I've been a part of it before, sometimes the only time you're, you're together really talking anything as a staff is, is in that staff meeting and most of the time, you don't get heavy into X's and O's. So for you guys, how, how much time are you spending to, to make sure that the offensive staff knows what you guys are doing and the defensive staff knows what the offensive guys are doing? I think a, a fair amount, and especially if there's questions. Uh, the, the one thing about our staff is there's no egos. So if anybody has a question about anything that anybody's doing, if one of the offensive GAs has a question about something we're doing on defense, he's allowed to ask, and I'll gladly answer it for him. Just like if one of the guys on defense has a question about the offense, they're they're absolutely willing to ask, and, and they know they're they're not going to get demeaned for it. They're going to get an honest answer. And the other thing is, is I, we'd love to have Coach Frost get up in front of the team and, and explain some things, whether it be special teams and or something we can carry over on offense and defense. So. At that point in time, when he knows he's going to have a group meeting, then we're really going to get into how are we going to teach this, such as blocking and tackling or special team. How, how do we as a staff want to teach these words, these techniques? Does everybody feel comfortable? Can we carry it over to all the drills? So I, I think it's, it's 
it's very important. And some days it gets talked about a lot, some days not at all. But I don't think it ever goes where we just kind of walk out there and everybody says, oh, man, I wonder what we should say on this deal, because that, that's, that's not how it works. And if everybody's comfortable and we've done those, those segments and practice before and we don't need to talk about it, then we don't need to talk about it. But if something new is going to come up and or any one of us is going to get up in front of the entire team and or segment, then we definitely need to talk about the, the words and, the, and the, the technique. Coach, I want to take a step back to something you said a little while ago about the, the meeting room and coaching fast through that. And, and I think I just would like to add a little definition to that for our listeners in maybe exactly what that means and some tips on how you, if you're an up-tempo team, if you're coaching that fast practice, how you kind of start to, I guess, install that in the meeting room, install that mentality in the meeting room. Sure. I think the number one thing is you, you want to, obviously, like we said, you want to mirror your, your teaching style with, with the practice style. So if you're a really slowed down practice team, you can be a really slowed down meeting team. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with either one of those. You can, you can win a lot of different ways. We just do it our way. But we want to we wanna use those keywords in the meeting room. We want to keep it fast. I also believe, just in reading a lot of, a lot of things, I, I believe that a half an hour is about where we can get these kids to where we're not losing them in the meeting room. And I know some people love to meet forever and that's great. I would love to meet forever if we could. I just don't feel like it's very productive after about a half an hour anymore. And we've got a little research to back it up, but not enough for me to present right here right now. So if, if we have a meet, if we have a meeting and that's over an hour, I will probably either break up into individual and or a segment or we may go individual into a walkthrough or a lot of times coach frost is going to break us up into a half an hour of something and a half an hour of something else so first off i think you need to meet the the meeting times need to be fast second off i think you need to use those words whatever you want to use in your meeting instead of i don't know for example instead of saying okay well you're playing middle linebacker here and, and you read the guard dropped uh, two yards outside the, the hash and now I want you to find the quarterback size and I want you to you know, if you read three step I want you to snap your head out to the slant and then I want you to go out instead of doing it like that you need to you need to use your words you're going to use on the practice field and they need to be able to repeat them back to you such as you take your drop QB key ball out break eyes before feet boom it's over and they can repeat those words back to you non-stop and then when they go out to the to the practice field when they see when they hear you say kiwi key ball break eyes before feet they know exactly what you're talking about so i think your 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 teaching style needs to mirror mirror that as out on the field and my mom was a educator for a long time and i i agree it's it's not every kid learns differently it's our responsibility to make sure every kid knows but not in the group setting if a kid is having a hard time and he can't follow with you that's where, where we need to have some individual meetings. We need to have some extra time, find out what, what is his best style of learning and, and translate it to him. But when we're in that group setting, I think we need to teach to the probably the level of the highest learner because everybody else will follow along. They'll, they'll get some, some information from that, and then we can always go back and, and correct the, the, the other learners in, in the room and, and find out the way that they learn. But I think 
in those group meetings when you're really going you need to use those keywords you need to keep segments fast you need to keep film fast you need to keep clips fast and you need to kind of replicate what's going to go on the practice field or else we're we're doing those kids a disservice by them thinking life is going to move slow in the meeting room and then it's going to move really slow in the practice field too that's not how it's going to work we need to to mirror life in in while they're sitting down to life as while they're standing up so a lot of it does does really involve that language, and you mentioned the, the military and learning from a little from the Blue Angels, and and in the military in general, they call that brevity codes. That they are going to be able to communicate in those few words. Is that something that you and, and your staff, when you, your defensive staff, that you've come together on, or is it just kind of evolved over time? I, I think a little bit of both, and I think once the staff gets comfortable with each other, I, I mean, we can. When we go into the to the room to watch to watch the film, a lot of times everybody knows whose guy screwed up. They know whose guy screwed up. They don't need me to tell them. They don't need anybody else to tell them. They usually will say something if we're watching the film before the play even starts. But we, the things that I want to know now is what are you telling that guy, and or what are you telling your your position group there, so I can either say the same thing or we can change what you're saying because it's different. Maybe what the safeties guy is saying, or it's different than what the defensive line guy is saying. So what are you telling those guys so that we can all be on the same page? And I think that's becoming more important now than who had the a gap there on, on, on play 29. Cause we all know who, who did that. There's a few schematical things that happen every day that obviously we need to get cleaned up and, and guys in their own position, cleaning up technique. But anymore it's it's how are we how are we wording this to the guys how can we make it easier for them and and what are you as a position coach telling that guy because maybe maybe I want to use that maybe it's better for the for the group coach when we look at that and extend it all the way into the the post game evaluation watching film with the the players how does it translate into that I, I I can remember in the high school days, coaching high school, and even as a, a player back then, you kind of, good or bad, <laughs> you usually dreaded those Saturday mornings, whether it was a win or a loss, because a lot of times you felt you're going in, you're going to watch the film, you're going to get your ass chewed. Uh, how, how does that teaching extend into making that, that post-game evaluation, post-game film watching very valuable for both yourself as the coach and the player? Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more and more valuable as everybody knows we're, we're all losing time as coaches with these kids is you're losing the amount of time you have with them so it needs to be a little quicker and if if you've heard coach frost at all one of his one of his big things is a desire to excel and no fear of failure so that overlaps to our whole program so our kids know listen when you come in on saturday i'm gonna have a cut up for the whole unit and if you made a mistake, if you if you got beat on a deep ball, you you're not going to get mf'd in front of the group. You're not going to get yelled at. That's just not going to happen. What we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about great stuff. We're going to talk about what I'm going to do is make a, a a teaching overlap tape, a teaching carryover. So we're going to see drill to 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 game. How did the kids carry that over? We're going to see really good stuff. We're going to see schematical errors that maybe were my fault, maybe were 
a player's fault or, or the communication error. And then we're going to, what, what you're going to, what you might get your butt chewed on is a lack of effort or lack of communication. And those are the things that we, we are really going to go over on Saturday. Uh, just a, a mental error or a physical error. I, I'm not going to worry about that. Kids, kids make care. They knew they made the error. They knew they made it right after they did it. They probably watched it five times before we even met as a group and they don't, they didn't want to make the error. They don't need to be ripped in front of the group. But but the effort and the communication stuff, that's very, very important to us. And they know that if, if that goes on, that there's going to be a problem in the meeting room. And, and I think that allows kids to come into that meeting with a little confidence. They know it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be mostly a, a good positive situation unless they're, they're guilty of the effort and fractions, probably. In in general, how many plays are you you trying to put into that cut up? What do those end up netting out at? I guess I, I'm sure it's different week to week, but on average, yeah, it, it's different week to week. But I would say maybe maybe twenty twenty to twenty five. No, we're on the field for like close to a hundred. Probably we're we're running at every game. So there's probably what you're probably looking at is five to ten. I would say corrections that we're going to need to get cleaned up maybe it's something we haven't seen in plays we're going to run in practice and you're probably talking about five or so really good just player clips just effort clips from a guy maybe five times where everyone communicated and we just knew it was going to be a great positive outcome and or some turnover we we, we preach a lot of, of sacks and turnovers so you're going to see those come up and then, then you might see five, five negative, negative things from an effort or communication standpoint, and then the rest are, are going to be just maybe schematical errors where where the kid maybe made one call and should have made another, and, and things like that. But it's probably going to run somewhere between twenty and twenty-five plays. Coach, as you look at how you take your your process and extend that to the workflow of your coaching staff, whether that's putting together a game plan or, or, or putting together practices, what are some of the key things for you guys and how you're going to work? Because there's only so many hours in a day. I think we, we all maybe make that mistake of we're going to outwork that other staff. And for some guys, they translate that to hours in the office. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. We talk all, all the time on this podcast of, of making sure you find a way to have balance. So f- for you guys, what does that game planning and, and practice planning process look like? Yeah, I think in, in Coach Frost has a, has a pretty great process laid out for us, a pretty good plan from week to week, and that's not going to change much. Things that that I think make it easier for for us as a staff is we can, we can rip through things pretty quickly. Number one, Coach Frost bringing bring the entire staff from, from Central Florida to Nebraska was was huge for for me because there was no teaching of the scheme or teaching of what we're going to be doing on a day-to-day basis everybody already knows so everybody could just kind of come back to work and I think the thing one of the things from a from a game planning process that kind of really helps us is I can't look ahead week to week when, when you're when you're the play caller I'm sure some guys can but I can't do that I need to, to concentrate on the game we're playing but our assistant coaches can. And so what we're going to do week to week is we're going to kind of break up the, the, the game plan, if you will, the scouting report into 
the D-line coach is going to take the run game. The linebacker coach is going to take the first and second down pass game. The DB coach is going to take the third down game. And, and outside back coach is going to have red zone and, and short yardage for us. So those guys probably are going to be done when they either walk in on, on Sunday morning or when they leave on Sunday. But then they're going to present to our staff throughout the week. I'm going to have my ideas ready and they're going to have their ideas ready but when we all get together we're going to have all the ideas laid out on the table when we walk out of that room doesn't matter if it was mine or or one of theirs it's going to be ours when we walk out and we're all going to believe in it and that's what we're going to do but it's it's very efficient having those guys present to us instead of having to have me make every cut up and have me say what I think is going on and having guys sit in the room that may have watched way more than me in that particular area and that don't get to say anything. But I, I think that I was around a lot of staffs where we never did it like that. Nobody had a, a piece of any of the game planning. It was just the, just the coordinator where our guys are going to have a big time piece and breaking that down and, and helping, helping me decide what we're going to do from week to week. But I think that kind of gets us going on an efficiency standard from there. Yeah, definitely. So really, in that process, you guys are not sitting down together and going over entire games. You guys have those specific cut-up lists that each coach, or I've heard a lot of guys call those guys experts in their area, those experts in their area are presenting to you. Absolutely. So on Sunday, I'm going to start watching self-scouting us and start watching games. Then I'm going to probably sit down with the D-line guy and knock the run game out and if I can get some of the first and second down pass stuff kind of knocked out just so I have an idea and I can start scripting a, a, a Monday practice for us and then when we when we get together on Monday after practice then those guys are going to start presenting their specific area to, to the, the staff and then when we walk out of there we're going to feel good about that particular area the game plan for that particular area but those guys are definitely presenting that cut up that that they're going to have PowerPoint stuff. They're going to add in that cut-up. And then once we leave the room and we make the decision and we all feel good about that cut-up, that cut-up's going to go right to the players. So instead of handing out the scattering report and having somebody make a 1,000 copies of a scattering report that nobody looks at anyways, we're going to send it to these guys on via whatever you have, Huddle or Exos or, or DV Sport. They're going to get that as, as, as their scattering report. And the nice thing is, is they're going to – get that as installments as we kind of watch it as a group and a staff so it's not so much of a burden on those kids they're going to get it as as a running cut up with some some voiceover and or some powerpoint stuff with some diagrams throughout the video so that's worked a lot better for us it's kind of twofold we get the game plan aspect the kids get the scouting report they kind of know what they're going to see in practice from the from the clips that go on there and obviously, Coach, this all has to translate into practice plans. So extending that further, what's the workflow? Yeah, so we, we, know, we know what we're going to do on, on Tuesday. On Monday, we're going to work corrections in our base stuff versus whatever their main runs and passes are. And on Tuesday, we're going to kind of work our first and second down plan. And Wednesday, we're going to work – first and second down again, a little red zone, short yardage, and some third down. And then Thursday we're going to kind of do it all over again. But the the workflow becomes a, a lot easier when those guys make that 
cut up and they put the what they feel is the most important stuff, I can just kind of run down that cut up and, and select the plays for the practice. I can mark them and tag them, and I can put in the defense that I want versus that particular play, and I can make the practice scripts right there. Then that way, whoever's drawing the cards, I draw a lot of cards, and our, our GAs draw a lot of cards. But whoever's drawing the cards, it's a, it's an easy script. I don't have to write anything out like we used to have to in, in the old days. I don't have to sit there with a, a pencil and, and write everything out. I can just kind of tag plays, and and that way they don't have to look them up. It just I just share it to them, and it's it's right there for them. So it becomes very very easy for for practice planning. Another thing is is that every coach can look at the practice script not only on a piece of paper because there's always that time where I call something, whatever, pin and pull, and you called it student body left or whatever. Somebody may not be on the same page on one particular play we haven't seen for five years. Those guys can pull up the practice script. They can have it for their meeting. They can have it for their install. It, it's a, it's a, it, the technology anymore has is, is cut a lot of time out of what we used to have to do, and I think it's, it's a great thing as long as you, you embrace it a little bit. Coach, when you're looking at the entire game plan and, and the amount that you're going to put into it, there, there's probably a sweet spot of where you want to be on, on the amount of, of defenses or calls you're going to put in. I know we, we talk about that on this podcast all the time. Just the other day, Noel Mazzoni was on and talked about having 25 plays in, in the core of his script, maybe adding some situations here or there, but trying to keep that as, as tight as possible so that they're also repping that out on the field and getting better at it every day so that the game plan actually be being driven by what can we practice, what can we get better at. For you, how does that work on the defensive side of the ball? What do you, what do you look at in terms of we, we're going to get better at this versus here's some of the tools we need in our game plan? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on, on your team year to year. The first year we were at Central Florida, I, I felt like the kids – were, it was a very good team, and that particular team was better when they didn't have as much in in the in the game plan. The second year, I felt like those guys were whatever. Maybe they're used to the system. Maybe they were a little better learners. Whatever they were better when they had more ammo, and they thought that they were part of the game plan. So I kind of think it kind of depends on your team. And the thing that we've, I think we've done a great job of, and, and from Coach Frost and those those guys on offense and, and just as a head coach is I always wanted to know what, in, in the spread, the, the Chip Kelly system, Scott Frost system, Mark Helfrich, all that. How, how do you guys do so much? Cause it looks like you do so much. And then you watch the film and you do, it doesn't seem like you do so much. I don't know if that makes sense, but they, they always, t it's not about the plays. It's about the system. And so we, we took the most time, making sure that our system was how we wanted it on defense in, in our base system. So we can really call whatever we want. And it's not a big deal for our kids. It's not a, it's not new words. It's not new coverages. We have the system built. So for example, if, if we, in the fruits group, if, if we say we can say whatever fruit we want, even if they've never heard it before, if they've never heard lemon, they'll be able to run lemon. If they've never heard grapes, they'll be able to run grapes. 
and they'll probably be able to run it without us ever meeting or talking about it just because of the way the system's built. And I think if you're like that, you can do a lot. If you're one of those operations that has a lot of memorization, which is fine too, there's, there's been a million great defenses and offenses like that, then you, you, you need to limit it maybe because there's a lot of, a lot of words and a lot of new learning. It's not, it's not systematic learning. It's, it's becoming brand new learning every, every single day. So I think it kind of depends on just what you want to do for us this year. I don't know yet. I got to get with these guys and see what they can handle, but I'm, I'm sure as every new system takes over, less is going to be more and clear minds are going to make flash, fast legs. So I think we'll probably, we'll probably limit what we do just a little bit and build, build as we continue every year. But once again, it kind of depends on our kids, I think. And, and I know for you, your system really is, is around the odd front right now. As I've seen you describe it, it's a lot of one-gap stuff with some two-gap stuff mixed in. And, and I think, you don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you kind of place a high value on what you're able to do with your outside linebackers and how they can, can really add some, some flexibility and kind of complexity to your defense. Yeah, and I, I, I think anytime you look at whoever you want to look at the anybody that's played in a in a three-man front the three four or whatever you want to call it odd odd defense has become so much now just as the four down and stuff has but anytime you're you're in a in a three down look those outside backers need to be really good players for you I, I don't think you look at any team that's ever done it and it's going to be pretty good when the Ravens were there obviously Terrell Suggs was really good and you're talking about the Von Millers and, and those type of guys right now, and Daryl Matt or uh, the 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 Mac guy from the the Raiders. Uh, but I mean, anytime you look at those guys, the outside linebackers are, are focal points of the defense, and those guys are so important because obviously, pass rushers they have to be able to rush the pass. They need to be able to set the edge for us, and, and they need to be efficient in coverage. And I think that's a really hard position to play, and it's really really valuable. But those guys, eventually, I think they're going to probably, if you recruit the way you want to, those are the guys that you kind of aspire to have be the, the best players on the defense. Coach, when you look at those those guys up front, for you really, I guess the amount of, of, of work and thought you're going to have to put into it really depends on how good they are at getting after the quarterback. And I'm sure you would prefer as a, the coordinator to be able to let those guys do it on their own, but at times you probably have to – to look at blitz packages as well. What are the keys in, in, in the odd front for, I guess, those guys that you're looking up at up front and, and maybe looking at that guy in the, in the middle, can he play a two-gap or are you going to have to one-gap him? What what helps you determine those kind of things? I, just like anything else, I think you have to be willing to change depending on your personnel. I, I think too many times we get caught as coaches saying, well, this is this is what I do and these kids better be able to do it. Well, sometimes you recruit them and they can't do it, so we better be able to change. And that that guy in the perfect system that that knows the world champion, the heavyweight champion of the world, and he's going to be able to play both a gaps and he's going to control double teams in the center. But if if that can't happen, then that's where you need to either get him in a one gap situation or get him on the move and or use some illusion with that guy. But the beauty of the I think being in the three down front is. You can play three two-gappers if you want. You can play two two-gappers if you want. You can play one two-gapper if you want. You can play no two-gappers if you want. 
and the offense should never know which of the fourth outside linebacker or which of the fourth linebacker, whether it be an inside or outside guy is coming or is it five or is it six or is there somebody coming from the roof? I think that's the advantage you have when you're, when you're playing in, in that style of defense as opposed to other defenses. And not that there's not advantages to the other defenses as well, but that that's our advantage where the offense should n- never be feeling comfortable. They should, we, we should be the ones kind of dictating to them the game at all times. And I think that's kind of what, what helps us as we, as we move through the season. Coach, in coming to Nebraska, you take over one of the most storied traditions in college football as far as uh, especially defenses are concerned in the black shirts. For you, what was that process like of, of going through and understanding what's been done before and then looking at how do we extend it and evolve that forward, evolve that forward to the program now under Scott Frost and, and under you as the defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think anytime, anytime you go anywhere, I think you have to understand the past, good or bad, and you kind of have to embrace the present and look towards the future. But this place is a little different. Obviously, it's it's one of the, like you said, the most storied programs in all of college football. And I think being the defensive coordinator at the Black Shirts is probably the, not probably is the best defensive job in America. It's funny because a lot of the places we've been, we're always trying to figure out what's the identity on defense. You're with Chip Kelly in Oregon, and every poster, every recruiting piece of information has an offensive player on it and has fast something to do with playing on offense and then you get to Nebraska and it's finally you're like finally we have the black shirts it's it's an awesome deal you don't need to find the identity here but the one thing that we needed to do was we needed to research what is the black shirts how did it come about what does it mean what do we want it to be with us and that took some Obviously, we have Barrett Root on our staff, who's one of the best black shirts. He's obviously the all-time tackle leader at the University of Nebraska, and we had to talk to I talked to Coach McBride, and we talked to some other former black shirts, and just try to figure out what it meant to them and what does it mean to us. And I think that's kind of an ongoing process, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to figure it out here. But it, it's a it's a very cool deal to be part of it, Coach. For you at this point in time the present for you how do you define the black shirts what are the black shirts going to be in 2018 first and foremost I think it's it's they, they need to know that everybody represents the black shirts as soon as we step on that field how you earn a black shirt is is, is a di- different story and if you get to wear it in practice and all that kind of thing but I hope the black shirts in, in 2018 win lose or draw I hope they represent the best team in the country in effort. That's that's what I want for the, for this group right now is to is to get back eleven hats to the football. Whatever play it is, you're going to physically, physically and mentally outwork the guy in front of you, and everybody in the country, everybody in that stadium is going to see the 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 best effort team that they've ever seen here, and and, and be proud of that team. 
mean, I think if we can get that accomplished, we're going to start to do some some good things on on defense and in the program here, and, and that'd be a, a great thing to build off of. But if if I had to have one thing that we're going to be the best at in 2018, I, I want to say it's going to be an effort team. Coach, you shared a lot of great things with us here today, and I know we we've really just touched on the things you guys are are doing at Nebraska, especially in terms of, of process. Uh, but you guys are doing a lot of great things. I think it's exciting for. A lot of people, a lot of guys who who watch college football, either from a a coaching eye or even those fans, to see what you guys are going to do here in 2018. But when you look at it, Coach, you look at all the things you do, what would you say is is that one thing that really helps your players find the winning edge? I think it's – I really believe it's it's just how they're treated in our program – Obviously, my my wife tells me a lot of times you can only you can only coach them as hard as you can love them, and I think that they feel like they truly are are cared about from from everyone in our building, from the head coach to the to the secretary to the to the person that's serving them in the training table. Uh, I think that they truly feel like they're they're not just a football player; they're they're they are part of the family, and they're being cared about. And when when that happens. Gosh, I really think that it's really hard to be wrong as as a as a coordinator, even if you call the wrong deal or whatever, because those those kids are just going to play so hard for themselves and and for each other that that it doesn't really matter. But I think you talked about it a little bit, and we didn't get a chance to touch on it much. But just the culture in the building is is unbelievable. And when we left Central Florida, it was really really at running at a high level culture wise. And, and it's it's moving in that direction at Nebraska very, very quickly. For our listeners out there, you can follow Coach on Twitter, at Coach Shenander. Um, Coach, great job today in, in sharing some valuable information. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the podcast, and best of luck to you and the Huskers and the Black Shirts in 2018. Hey, thanks for having me on. It was, it was awesome to get a chance to talk to you and, and hopefully share some valuable stuff to listeners. Keep tuning in to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. We have some new episodes coming soon. Whether you are playing this fall or getting ready for the spring, we have some topics that you're going to be interested in. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski for some of our content over there, as well as our Your Call, which is back. A new play every day of the week. And stay tuned for more exciting news from Coach and Coordinator.